Eating fish gills. I didn't hear anything from outside the church because I said Fishkill, but Fishkill Baptist responded. All right. Glad to be with you again today. I brought myself a present. Not really. I'll explain that, the real reason that I came today. I appreciated Joe's prayer. Revival. Amen. You know? Um, There was something in some of the songs that we were singing earlier uh, about... God's presence among his people and the fact that he, he dwells with us and that there's actually power and grace that flows between us. Um, I've, uh, those of you who know who I am, my name's John Hawk. I used to pastor over at Harmony, uh, Harmony Baptist and you had one of, your, uh, one, of our, one of my past staff here last week, Tim Strait, and I heard that he did a good job. Am I right? It was okay. I'm glad to hear that. Otherwise, I have to go back and yell at him. And uh, no, and uh, maybe he's uh, did a better job than I will today. And since I've been retired, we've been on the run a lot, catching up with our five children and everything. But what I found is I still need, you still need, those times with brothers or sisters that the grace of God flows through them to speak life into us. And if you've never read, I'm going to just encourage you, if you've never read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, just the first chapter talks about how often we take for granted in free countries what other people who have been imprisoned because they follow Jesus or they've been separated by sickness or isolation or exile or something like that, that they're just dying for craving fellowship. Not, you know, how'd the ball game go? Fellowship. What life does the Holy Spirit want to speak to you and I, speak encouragement to one another? And so I need those and you need those injections of grace. We need them. And God designed it to do, do it through his body and that's why the body needs to be lively and revived and I'm all over that. So I just say amen to that prayer, brother. And maybe two or three other people might say amen, I don't know. If you don't talk to me, I'm going to leave. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> I also won't disrupt everything. I love to, when, when things are sparse, you know, it's summer. I'm glad there's as many people here today as there are, because I know you've been away at camp, right? Last week you went to camp. I hope that was good. Did some of you go to camp? I got my stats wrong. Forget what I said. The real reason I came back today, well, there's, yeah, it wasn't as much to preach. I had to go get... Jojo's bunny, Tim Strait's daughter, Jojo, left this last week, and that was the real reason I came back, <laughs> to get her bunny, because I don't want that little girl not liking me, because if, if Tim told you anything, she's a terror, and I don't want her not liking me. But that wouldn't be true either. The real reason, <laughs> I um, was talking after my last message with a guy named Kenny Jernigan, anybody know him? So if you don't like what I say today, take it out on him. I'm kidding. He said, you left us hanging. I'm like, what? You left us hanging. What do we do now? Where's the rest of the story? You have to tell us where to go from here. So I came back to tell you where to go. I'm going to tell you how to go from here on. What do we do after this basic subject that was so huge, 
called Forgiveness. And I really appreciated the songs that spoke into that in that last song. I heard it for the first time, the first time I preached on forgiveness, what was it, last month, sometime early last month. And um, it was new to me, and hearing it today, again, I was able into the worship of it. Anybody else have that problem? You know, you, you got to get to know a song a little bit to enter in. But I entered into it, and I thought, that's a good song. It's a good song about a really important subject. And for, when churches experience revival, one of the things that's, one of the, the clear, bright lights about it is the ability to forgive and receive forgiveness and pass it on and all of that. And uh, I'm going to ask you to join me in a second in prayer because... There's not any of us sitting in this room that do not have from some part of our life, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it was school, whether it was your friends, whatever it might happen to be, there's no one here that does not have wounds, hurts, things that maybe still nag us to this day. And uh, I, I uh, have lots of stories, but I don't intend to bore you too much. Instead, we want to look at the Word and see what it has to say about this very telling, if you will, subject of forgiveness. So, would you join me in prayer as we uh, look into the Word of God today? I thank you, God, for your grace, your mercy. I thank you that through our Savior that we've been praising this morning, we have been cleaned up On all the record books, our crimes have been expunged because of what Jesus did on our behalf. I also thank you that as we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Every time we stumble, which we all do regularly, we have this remarkable privilege having direct access to God through the person of Jesus, our great high priest and the mediator between God and man. We can come to him and say, I blew this. And you never back off from your promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful, you are righteous and just to fulfill your promise that you will forgive our sin. So we thank you for that wonderful tremendous mental health promise of the Word of God, that the things that weigh on our conscience can be reckoned with as we bring them to the cross of Christ. So that's for us. And then, Lord, you also made that available for us to be recipients of grace, and there are going to be times that that grace will spill out upon others who also need to experience that release. We pray for help today. You know my desire earnestly, Lord Jesus, is uh, not just that we do a good job and we have a nice worship service, but Lord, that life speak would pour into the heart of someone who needs it today and that they would be encouraged and strengthened in their most holy faith. faith. Lord, we're your people. We belong to you. You want to glorify yourself through us. Thank you for those in this assembly hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Strengthen them, build them up, move them into that place. As the scripture talks about, those who are mature have their senses trained to discern good and evil. 
because in these days we need our senses trained to discern good and evil. Help us, O God. Thank you that the joy of the Lord can be our strength. We ask for help today, both those who listen, we need the grace of God to illumine our minds and put his finger on whatever might be needed, whether it's encouragement, whether it is a well-done, good and faithful servant, or whether it is, you need to fix that and help me also, Lord. I desperately need it. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. I thought, how am I going to go back and start over on that subject? And I'm not going to repeat it all. I'm going to reference one little truth that I did leave you with last time, but as often happens, the Lord watches out for me. I always say that. He watches out for his dummies, and he watches out for me. And um, this week in the paper, my wife, yes, we are old. We don't do it online. We read the paper. You know, there's this thing called a newspaper. And uh, we were reading it, and dear Abby saved me. Now, I know Jesus saved me back in 1971, like really, new birth, transformation. But dear Abby saved me how to start my sermon this week. You ready for it? She used to be really good. Um, I don't know who it is now that does it, and it's usually off the rails a little bit anymore. Today's not an, ex- uh, not a, an exception. Dear Abby, I have been married for 32 years. Back in the mid-1990s, my husband cheated on me. A little over a year ago, the woman he cheated with reached out to me via social media to apologize. She said she is now sober has found religion, I wonder if she became a Christian, is doing something about it, and is trying to mend her wrongdoings. I never responded to her because I didn't know what to say. I don't hate her, but in my mind, if I say I forgive you, it's like I'm agreeing with what she did, and I don't. How do you tell someone you don't forgive them? Her answer, apology not signed, apology not accepted. Dear ANA, nothing requires you to say anything to the woman. However, if you decide to break your silence, the comment you made in your letter, I don't hate you, but in my mind, if I say I forgive you, it's like I'm agreeing with what you did, and I don't, would suffice. It's succinct, polite, and conveys your feelings accurately. She right or wrong? You can't fail the test. I'm not going to throw anybody out of class. Little of both, right? A little of both. She doesn't have to respond. And here's the last line that kind of cracked me up. But don't hold on to the grudge because it's not healthy for you. Which means you better forgive her in case you haven't done the math. That was a little inconsistent. Well, I, that's my whole reason for being here, to pick on Abby. No, I'm We're going to make a point here. So back to our primary verse. It's confusing, isn't it? Sometimes we're confused. What exactly does it mean? What does it mean to forgive? Does it mean I feel this way? Does it mean I have to do something that I really don't want to do? So there you go. I want to unpack some of the confusion. And let us begin with this 
famous text that I would bet that even if you weren't raised in a religious home, you probably could recite along with me what we call the Lord's Prayer. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Our Father, who are, which really is a disciple's prayer. You know, he taught them how to pray. It's a model. Um, you mentioned this morning uh, the Ten Commandments. And uh, as people are growing as new disciples, this is free, this is a sidebar, um, there are passages like the Ten Commandments or the Lord's Prayer that if I will take those to task in my spiritual life, it will help reset my compass on a regular basis. It'll help give me clarity. Our Father, who art in heaven, you're holy. Boy, I sure I'm not holy. You're holy in my experience. I'm holy because he's declared me so, but I don't always live it out that way, do I? You're holy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many times do we pray that prayer as a hypocrite? Your will be done. Just not in my life because I'm going to do what I want to do. But we pray the Lord's Prayer. So in that prayer, we come across this wonderful verse. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. My title is Apologies to Augsburger because he wrote the book, The Freedom of Forgiveness, a good Anabaptist brother. And uh, a lot of good truth in this. You don't have to agree with everything in it, but the basic principles are laid out in there. And I'm going to share something out of it. And every time I steal a a title, I like to apologize for it. So now that's out of the way. I don't have to ask forgiveness again, all right? Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. If I were taking the time in my prayer closet... I'm going to try to stay on task because my ADD always kicks in. I want to go talk about prayer closets. But if I am meditating on that, forgive my debts as I forgive other debts, how forgiven am I? I have to look at that. Last time I mentioned uh, the passage out of the the story that Jesus told about the slave who was forgiven a million dollars and then he wouldn't forgive a hundred dollar debt to his fellow slave and was abusive to him. And when the master found out this had happened, he took him and said, how come you were so nasty? You received all this mercy and then you refused to give it to your fellow slave. I'm throwing you in prison where they're going to torture you. And then that ugly verse, and I didn't make it up friends, it's in the Bible. The ugly verse says, so shall my heavenly Father do to you. I didn't even hear a gasp. Somebody gasp. Thank you. So shall my, what does that mean? God's mean? No. I'm bringing Abby's last line. For your sake, you need to let go. You're torturing yourself. Why do you want to live like that? Why do you want to be bitter and angry and Ebenezer scrooge Why? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know, bah, humbug. Bah. Everything's rotten. And we're in a culture today, you may have noticed, that makes me nervous because... First of all, sin has been erased. Nothing that used to be sin is sin. And by the way, that doesn't go for God. He doesn't agree with that. But everything's kind of being erased and called a syndrome or just a minor issue or an opinion. But instead, 
We're feeding many times on hatred. In spite of all the signs, there's no room for hate here. I'm hearing tons of it. Anybody else? Tons of hate. Tons of vengeful talk and shaming one another and relishing that. Jesus taught us how to release, and we almost feel, it feels like a sort of a descent into barbarism that rather extending mercy and learning to forgive and move on as a, as a people, that we're going to cling to things that are unhealthy for us, not to mention for everybody else. So here's my first point today. All of that was just introduction, and I promise to be done by one. I want to unpack the meaning of forgiveness. And sometimes it's helpful to unpack the meaning of something what it is by knowing what it isn't. So let's start with that. What does it mean? What it doesn't mean is, it doesn't mean like this lady that you agree with it. Having someone cheat on their spouse if they're serious about marriage is one of the most heart-rending stabs to the gut that anyone can experience. Brutal. There are probably in people here that have had to walk through that kind of ordeal, and that's a hard one to walk through. You don't agree with it, one. You don't condone it, two. You don't want it to happen again. People think, oh, I forgave. I'm really okay with it now. And a person really is okay with it, and somebody says, oh, and you're okay if it happens again? No! You're putting words in my mouth. Doesn't mean that. It doesn't say that that person is innocent in any way. Sometimes we say, well, they did the best they could with what they were dealt, you know. They didn't know any better. And that sometimes makes us feel a little more compassion toward the process of forgiving. But it doesn't let them off. I know from personal dysfunctional family background. I told you a little bit last time about my dad. He's not off the hook just because he was spoiled so bad and got away with so much bad stuff. And, and uh, once you start drinking to that level, your brain doesn't work anymore. And you know what? That's on him. I understand. But it doesn't make him innocent. It also doesn't mean that what I went through doesn't hurt or doesn't even still hurt when I think about it. It doesn't mean that. It may. And it also is not denial. People who think, well, now I, it, just, it doesn't matter anymore. It's just gone away. It didn't matter. I, I have encountered in 45 years of counseling uh, people who've been wounded and needed to get freed by, and thank God for the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus that does this amazing healing work in people's lives. Amen? That... Uh, they think so little of themselves. They have been wounded and discounted and uh, feel what I call the spirit of rejection, which I used to be the king of that, uh, that I don't matter, and therefore what happened to me, no big deal. Really? Now, from God's perspective, he says, I don't care how small you think you are. It's a big deal. You matter. Every life does and has value. So it's not denial about it. And forgiveness also doesn't mean, now I'm totally okay. I'll never have a relapse. (laughs) Yeah, never mind. Okay. I'll never have a relapse. I'll I'll never go back to feeling hatred again. Well, you might. We don't keep our guard up. You might. 
And guess what? You can reclaim the steps we're going to talk about today, because that's what I want to get to. What does it mean, and how do we do it? So that I can just go back to square one and do it again. By the way, there's one more it doesn't mean that I need to say. And that is, it doesn't mean you trust that person again. Okay? I had a youth pastor up in Binghamton area. He used to say this to kids all the time. Forgiveness is free. I forgive you. You're going to see that's part of the the deal with forgiveness is it's a gift. The, The forgiveness we get is a gift, right? You didn't buy it. Your tithing didn't pay for it. You know, showing up at Sunday school. Anybody remember all the Sunday school buttons they used to have years ago? That shows how I am really old. Okay, so that doesn't earn it. It's a free gift. So likewise, when I give it to another person, it's a free gift. And I forgot to finish my quote. My pastor friend used to say, forgiveness is free. Trust is earned. If you violated my trust six times in a row... How many of you ever read Charlie Brown comic, uh, Charlie Brown comics, right? When is he going to stop listening to Lucy? <laughs> right? Okay, this time I'm going to hold it. Whoosh, bang! It's like, I don't even want to finish the comic. I know what's going to happen. Don't trust that girl. Anyway, doesn't mean I trust the person doesn't even mean I have to like the person. Did Hocko say that? Yeah, he did. That's why you won't have me back. It's okay. Anybody ever notice that even in churches, people hurt each other? Anybody? Okay, so you're either in a coma, you're refusing to answer me. What's going on, right? Right? It happened. You can't live together and not bump into each other and rub each other wrong. It can't happen. It's not going to happen. Did I give you my poem last time? Did I give you the poem? To live below. You know that one? It's a very spiritual poem. So I'm going to share it with you again. Uh, To dwell above with those we love. Oh my, that will be glory. To live below with those we know. Well, that's a different story. Sometimes we rub into into people that are just hard to take. And I'm going to tell you, I choose to love them, but some of them I don't like. I wouldn't choose to share an apartment with them, lest I become a murderer, (laughs) etc. You get the idea? We put religious people, Christians, sometimes put so many weird rules on ourselves that are not in the scripture. I love, I love when a person says, well, doesn't it say we shouldn't? No, it doesn't say that. Can you show me that verse? No, I'm sure it says somewhere. No, you're probably reading Kant, but it's not the Bible. There's a lot of freedom for believers. I can walk in joy and freedom of spirit. I don't have to like everything that everybody else likes. Isn't that a relief? Imagine if I had to dress the way everybody else dressed. Imagine if you had to dress like me. So what does it mean? There's a hint here that it has to do with volition. It has to do with making a choice, not a feeling. And I'm going to put it in parenthesis, only. 
Not a feeling only. Sometimes there is a feeling. Sometimes you have to make the choice and obey before the feelings come. Anybody ever learn anything about that? I'll tell you one of the places churches... You grow in something like worshiping, right? All you worship team folks. I don't, I don't know this song or I don't particularly like this song or I'm not used to this kind of response, but if I will obey, if God says do this in worship, give thanks, for example, let the people of God, let's take a simple one, let the people of God say so. Thank you, dear. My wife is here to save you all. Okay. Let the people of God say, Amen, we're the people of God. Anybody happy about that? Yes, Pastor John. If there's a response to me made, and I said, well, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in talking in church. Well, first you need to repent, and then second, you need to obey what the Scripture says. And if you obey what the Scripture says, maybe a response might happen. I love to observe people worshiping, and you can't judge always because I've seen a guy worship in my old church who, if he was ecstatic out of his mind, full of joy, this is how he looked. Praise Jesus. It's okay. But others are more expressive. So however it is, but is there some communion going on between me and God? So what does it mean? It's not just a feeling. But if I will obey a choice, then there may be a feeling like joy and peace, etc., that follows on the heels of it. You all know scriptures full in the New Testament of reinforcing this thing that Jesus said. If you forgive then I'll forgive. Father, forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And Jesus would say over and over, you know, the way you dish it out is the way you're going to get it. If you're going to judge, then the way you judge, your standard will be applied to you. So let's think about this. And we have a passage like this in Colossians that says, the kingdom people should be bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, anybody have a complaint? All right, come on, let's be honest. Right here in the room right now, who's got a complaint? Thank you. Thank you for that honesty. Your complaint is, tell that preacher to be quiet, right? No. (laughs) No, Thanks for going along with me. All right. If anyone has a complaint against another, we're forgiving each other as the Lord did for you. Forgiving you. You must also forgive. So there's the ground rules. Did you notice? It can be done. It's a command. If it's a command, would Jesus tell me to do something that he's going to make impossible for me to do? No. Well, I brought a little visual aid. I don't know if it'll work. I'll I'll try. But anybody remember before they did the remake of uh, the movie Ben-Hur, Charlton Heston. By the way, I still recommend. It's a great movie, right? The old one, Charlton Heston. He plays Judah Ben-Hur, a Jewish uh, aristocrat who uh, is... Childhood friends with Masala, who becomes a tribune with the Roman legion and takes over his hometown where he is, Judah Ben-Hur in Jerusalem. And they have a riff, and 
the tribune puts all his family in jail. They contract leprosy as a result. Judah gets sent into slavery on a slave ship. He's, he's uh, rowing for the Roman army. And by a quirk turn of events, he gets free. He becomes a Roman citizen, and he returns to his hometown and to see Masala, and he wants... What do you think? You got it. He gives a gift to Masala. Masala has no idea who it comes from, but when he opens it up, it's this beautiful dagger. Now, it's a kind of wimpy dagger. My uncle brought this back when he was engineering in uh, electric uh, plants in Baghdad before all the war and all the drama, and he brought this one back. He also brought another one. This one's dull. This, this, this one is just a decoration uh, dagger. But the blade that Judah Ben-Hur gave to Masala was a beauty like this, but big. And I'm sure, very sharp. And he gave it to him as a gift, kind of as a prophetic word. I'm coming for you. Until he met Jesus. Now, if you don't know, General Lew Wallace who originally was trying to disprove the, the claims of Christianity, wrote the story Ben-Hur. And if you open up the page, the, to the front page, the subtitle is A Tale of the Christ. He sees Jesus on the cross later in the story, and something happens to him. And when he's having a dialogue with friends and family, he finally says, I felt him take the sword out of my hand. That is a great picture of what forgiveness actually is. The person that has stabbed you, has wounded you, you've picked up that knife and you want to pay back, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever it might happen to be. I want to stab you. But Jesus is the one who somehow melts the heart to the point that you can let the sword drop from your hand. Let's face it. That's why forgiveness is challenging, because technically you owe me. You did me dirty. You need to be punished for that. You should get your comeuppance. And if I don't give it to you, I hope somebody else does. <laughs> and sometimes God arranges that. And did you know that God said if that happens, don't go, oh, goody, goody, goody. Did you know that? Yes, the Bible says it. Read it. Go, go read it. See if, see if I'm, telling you, I'm telling you the truth. There is a power available. All, all human beings have the ability to forgive. All human beings can exercise mercy. We're made in the image of God, the imago Dei. We're made in his image. And as he is merciful, we're able to be minister, uh, minister mercy. To err, there's an old quote, to err is human, to forgive, some of you know it, is divine. We, above all others, have the ability to manifest forgiveness that can be extraordinary at times, which is why I used the illustration of the Amish schoolhouse last time, because it always makes the paper and it always makes the mouths of reporters hang open because they don't get it in this generation of wanting vengeance. 
I'm going to skip over uh, some of my thoughts about meditation on these truths, but let me just say this, that if you've got Jesus, if you've really got Jesus in your life, you have a friend indwelling you, the Holy Spirit, who is your helper. You know that? So if I'm willing to draw near to God, he says he'll draw near to me. He'll help me with whatever the challenge is. Doesn't mean it'll always go the way I want it to, but there are things that I can do, means of grace, that can help me draw near so that the Holy Spirit can assist me in this process of letting that person go. Remember, the definition of forgiveness is to release, to let a a prisoner, you let them go. They owe you a debt. You look in your checkbook and scratch it out and say, don't worry about it, it's over. Done. You release them. You drop the sword. So here's some steps. I figure I'd try to leave something worthwhile. If you're a note taker, this would be the time to find your pen and write this in your bulletin. First step. Please be sure that you have a real offense. I have found people can be incredibly petty. When I was um, pastoring up in the Binghamton area, I had a, a gentleman in our church who just one day he was fed up, he was mad. He said, I'm leaving this church. I'm going, what is wrong? He said, you have a brother who's a leader in this church who hates me or blah, 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 something along that line. I'm like, okay, let's find out about this. Well, I found out who it was. It's one of the sweetest guys we had in our church. I'm not kidding. One of the sweet, so sweet, he's sickeningly sweet. And what the problem was, our hallways were busy between Sunday schools and services. We had two services at one time, three, and we're passing each other in the hall, mad dash to the auditorium. And this brother was on a mission, and he walked right past him and didn't say hello. Okay, do I have to say more? He was picking his nose at the wrong time. Who cares? That's not an offense. That's you needing to clean up your spirit. You have a rejection complex. You have some kind of issue going on here. What makes you think you're that important? Have you ever sat down and talked with him and said, Hey, are we okay? Because, gee whiz, you went right past me and didn't talk to me. And I know Matt, I know the guy, that guy, he would have said, what? That's what he would have done. What? What? Oh, man. No, sir. Nothing of the sort. So with something like that, and there are people who park there. Listen, I've seen it too many times to make believe it doesn't happen here. Just have to, you have to kind of grow up. Did you know that the Bible talks as we grow, as we mature, we become more like Jesus a little bit, more loving? I've still got a long way to go, let me tell you. I am really, I don't know why he picked me. I'm a real messed up one, you know, but still working on me. My wife hasn't left me yet, so I know I'm doing okay. Right, dear? Please say yes. (laughs) Okay. Yes, dear. 
Here's what the Bible says. and Everybody knows that wonderful love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, right? You all know that one? <sighs> Though I have the tongues of men and angels, blah, blah, blah. It does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. Listen to this. It's not easily provoked. Not easily provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Not easily provoked. I had an elder tell me over at Harmony, you're really good at that. I'm, think, I'm thinking, most of this isn't worth scratching your head about. It's so irrelevant. They probably didn't mean it, and if they did, it's on them. I don't care. It doesn't matter. What matters to me is that I'm right walking with God, and if I need to get something right, he'll tell me I'll try to get it right. Why worry about that? Let him, let him off. Forget, I, I, forgive, I forgive you for your bad driving. Terrible driving. You cut me off. You went through the red light, you bad person. I forgive you. It's not easily provoked, but we need to move one step forward. Make sure it's a real offense. There are real offenses, brothers and sisters, right? There are things that wound us and hurt us. So when that happens, we have to take the second part of love, which says, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Rather than say, I approve, like Abby's customer there. You know, I'm saying that I approve of what they did. No, you're not. I do not rejoice in unrighteousness. I rejoice with the truth. What's the truth? I'll need in step two. First one, make sure it's a real offense. Step two, if it is a real offense, you need to set some time. I know this sounds radical in our busy, internet-dominated world. You need to set some quiet time aside and get with God all by yourself, all by your lonesome. Get alone with God. There's a real offense. Put it on the table. I'm wounded. I'm hurt. When you start meeting alone with God, you have to first embrace the full impact of what happened. That can be scary. That can be scary. One of my favorite ways to illustrate this for people who are, because let's face it, when we, when we face something really bad, the, this lady's adultery, um, a physical attack, a murder, a a sexual abuse situation. When we try to look at that, it is too painful even to open, open the book. and it's, it's hard. So I've had people in my office at times that, you know, I, I just can't do it. And I say, here's, let me, let me try to help you understand what's happening here. You got cut. It was three months ago you got cut. And that cut has healed over on the surface, but underneath you can see the yellow and green color. Anybody know what I mean? Anybody had one of those? They're yummy. This is a great illustration. I hope you all had breakfast and I hope you digested it by now. But you can see it. And it, no, you have a problem here. No, it's healed over. See, it's healed over. It's all sealed up. I don't even have a scab anymore. Until I go as the doctor... What about that? Ah, hey, don't do that. Because it hurts. Yes, it does. And the only way this is going to get fixed is we're going to have to take a lancet, a, a nail, if you will, from the cross, and we have to pop that, squeeze it, until what? 
it bleeds, right? Until it bleeds. Because the blood cleanses whatever poison was in there. And then it'll heal right. Oh, can I add? You may have a really nice scar there. A great reminder of the grace of God that brought that ugly stuff out and genuinely healed it so it doesn't hurt. It's a scar. I remember it. But you can poke it all you want now. I can talk about it freely. Why? Because of the freedom of forgiveness. Am I making sense? Thank you. So embrace the full impact. Number two, I already said, first, make sure there's no real offense. Step two is getting along with God. And in getting along with God, embrace the full impact. And here comes the fun one. And I mean fun. I do mean it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. (laughs) You'd be amazed how alive and real he is if you just give him a chance. First time I was confronted with my hatred, and I I think I already shared it with you last time, I won't go into detail, but it was spilling out. A lot of it had to do with my real father, but it didn't stop there. And I had brothers and sisters praying with me and for me, and I said, okay, I need to go do some homework. And I went home and got alone with God, and I said, Lord, you show me the reasons I am so bitter. Who am I mad at? Who do I hate? Not me. I'm a wonderful Christian. I don't hate anybody. Thank you. Not. But that's what we do, right? We paint this facade. Everything's great. I'll stay on task. I get alone with God, lay myself out, pray some prayers that I've seen in some books that are helpful, kind of like Jesus' prayer, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're holy. I'm not. Have your way. Provide my need here. Help me. All of a sudden, I can say this. I'm sure she's long gone. Mrs. Milchiori, right in my face. One of my, one of my elementary school teachers, right in my face. One of my friends, right in my face. One, two, three, four. In about 30 minutes, I had a list on a sheet of people that I hated. Well, it wasn't hate. It was just a little resentment. Same thing. Quit lying to yourself. It's resentment. It's hate. I hate them. Hope they get theirs. First one was a neighbor lady who literally ruined my friendship life as a kid in my neighborhood. She did. She had no idea she did that, but she did. Ruined it. I didn't even... I wasn't even conscious that I hated her. Why don't you give the Holy Spirit a chance to mess with you? I'm telling you, it's fun. After you pop all that goop out, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, everybody's going, yeah, I ain't going with, I'm not going with the popping the goop again. No. Embrace the full impact of the hurt. Let the Holy Spirit tell you what you need to, who you need to, what you need to deal with. It could have been an event, not just a person. The loss of something, the loss of your home, the loss of whatever it happened to be. And then the last step of being alone with God is release that by name. Release that person by name. Be specific. I'm releasing Mrs. Milchiori because she destroyed my childhood play friends, wiped out the relationship, ended it for me. Unjustly. I hadn't done anything to her. I release her completely. Drop 
the sword. So, the steps to forgiveness. Make sure it's a real offense. If it isn't, grow up and blow it off like a real believer. Get alone with God. Let him show you what you need to do with. Release them by name, specifically, Let them off. Choose obedience. It's important to release. Why? It's most important, not just for your sake. Can I be blunt? The first reason it's important is God says so. That should be enough for any Christian. God says so. End of discussion. Okay, help me, Lord. How do I do this? You need the peace that follows from that obedience and freedom, and it may even spill over to another person. Anybody remember Corey Ten Boom? Yeah, triumph for the Lord. Um, David Augsburger quotes a section of her book uh, in his Freedom of Forgiveness. And I'm just going to give you the highlight. She's speaking in Germany in a church and talking about the full forgiveness. I mean, relishing the full forgiveness of God. And as the crowd is leaving, there's this man coming down the aisle And as she sees him, her heart gets cold because he is a past guard at Ravensbrook. You know what that is, right? Concentration camp where her sister died under his treatment. She saw him coming. He comes up and he says, wonderful message. I'm paraphrasing, okay? Wonderful I'm so glad about what you're saying. I have become a Christian. It's amazing to me. I'm forgiven for all the evil that I had done. But I would love to hear words of forgiveness from you. And he puts his hand out. Now, I'm getting real here. It's not always easy. It's not fast. You're not on a schedule. I'm not telling you if you don't forgive everybody you hate today, you're all, you know, all in trouble. Here's the story. I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ himself had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Now there's an honest disciple, right? She's trying to follow the Lord. She's an honest disciple. I want to forgive him. Boy, I I want to punch his face. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I couldn't. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, mechanically, woodenly, a most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Obey first. See what happens. Isn't that a great story? There is a God. There is a Holy Spirit that works among us. I've seen that kind of thing work. It's awesome. It really is. Last thing I want to say. Step three. Are you having trouble with this? Anybody? (laughs) No, Pastor John, we all have this sewn up, baby. If you're having trouble, the way to freedom is to really get to know yourself, right? 
Know yourself. One of the things I, I used to preach to my staff over there, Pastor Tim and all those, he's heard me say this a million times, we have to get in touch with our own depravity. We have to understand just how broken we really are. It makes it easier for us to forgive others. Here's the way Jesus put it, if I may. Luke chapter 9, verses 23. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Oh, wait, that's, the, that's, um, that's a good one, too. <laughs> By the way, all those verses are good. So... Luke 9, 23. I think it's the second to the last in my series. Anyway, I'll just read it to you. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The forgiving one. But here's the important part. The cross was an instrument of execution. Once you were on the cross, you're dead. I mean, it might be hours, but you're going to die. And you don't come back tomorrow and do it again. So when Jesus says, take up your cross daily, he's talking about what? Dying daily. Die to your will, your flesh, your self-importance, your way, your rightness, poor you, boo-hoo, whatever it happens to be. Die to that, and you'll start to get free. You'll follow him and have a life that's adventuresome. Somebody spoke heavily into this, and I really love it. Um, and we're done in 10 minutes. Is that it? Half past? Do you close at half past? Keep going? I heard that. I didn't hear anything else. Timothy Keller wrote a phenomenal book called The Prodigal God. And, yeah, I highly recommend it. Wonderful, wonderful book. And he describes in the prodigal son story, what we often miss is that there are two lost sons, not one. There's the son who went off and was obviously lost because he lived like the devil. Then he comes home and his brother, who is very straight-laced, will not tolerate or forgive his brother because he has never done anything like that. And the whole point of the book is learning to see among, especially church folks, just being candid, that elder brotherism is rampant. Elder brother self-righteousness not only creates racism and classism, but at the personal level creates an unforgiving judgmental spirit. The elder brother cannot forgive what this younger brother did. Here's what he's thinking. I would never do anything as bad as that, he's saying in his heart, because he does not see himself as being part of a common community of sinners. He's trapped by his own bitterness. It is impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to him or her. I got news for you, friends. We're not. However... Because elders' brothers' sins and apathy, uh, antipathy to God is hidden deep between layers of self-control and moral behavior, they have trouble, they have no trouble feeling superior to just about anyone. If they see people who lie or cheat on their wives or don't pray to God, they look down on them. If such people wrong them, elder brothers feel their spotless record gives them the right to be offended and to pursue 
perpetually remind the wrongdoer of his or her failure. I wish I had time to read that again, but you get what he's saying. I would never do like you. You're, you're so low to do this to me, and I'm better than you. I'm going to remind you how dirty you are. If the elder brother had known his own heart, here's the secret, friends. If the elder brother had known his own heart, he would have said, quote, I am just as self-centered and a grief to my father in my own way as my brother is in his way. I have no right to feel superior. Then he would have had the freedom to give his brother the same forgiveness that his father did. But elder brothers do not see themselves this way. Their anger is a prison of their own making. Get that one? Their anger, their superiority, it's a prison of their own making. I'm being tortured. Why live like that when you can be free? The freedom of forgiveness, of releasing the people who have hurt us. I'm going to close with this story. I'm going to skip the last verse that I had. That's my third sermon on forgiveness, which you won't have me back for. I already know. So let me tell you this story. And this is a hard one. This shows you. I've tried to make it clear that it's not always easy. Some are tougher than others. Some wounds are far worse than others. And the one I'm about to tell you was a profound work of grace in a life that had been destroyed, really. But if God can work in that and turn it, turn ashes to, you know, what can he do for us? You know, it's not because I'm more spiritual. I'm a pastor. I mean, look, I've even got my pastoral shirt on today. You know. No. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all at the same level on our knees at the foot of the cross. Amen? All of us. He loves you as much as he loves me. In fact, my inclination, my wrong thinking is probably loves you more than me. So I was pastoring up in the Binghamton area and a sister came to me. I'm just going to call her L for now, and it's nothing to do with uh, Stranger Things, okay? I just want to be clear. L came to me, deeply wounded individual, has had lots of problems interacting with people, dealing with things, went to Bible college, was tossed out for some things, some of it was unjust, some of it wasn't. There was so much to unpack in this one life that we... That we Spent a, spent a lot of time on. But here was, here was the defining moment. She came, she came to see me and what started all of this was the, was the sexual abuse of her, of her brother, brother continuously as a child. A child. Now this, now this, this breaks, breaks people, people on so, so many, many levels. We know that. We know that. Seeing something through the food is trauma and culture or mess. Or mess. So, so like there's a way to healing. And I listen to her hour we weep. And I wept and I with her, her and listened listen to week after week. We count I three, and I used to do hour and a half sessions, which is a little bit long, and a whole hour and a half of just agony. And then the next week she'd come, a whole hour and a half of agony again. And then she came the third week, a whole hour and a half of more of all this intense hatred. Justifiable, I understand it. How could you not? In the third session, I hate when this happens, but you got to do it. The Holy Spirit said to me, it's time to pull the trigger. (laughs) 
You need to ask her, are you ready to forgive your brother? Now, the Holy Spirit kept my mouth shut for three weeks. (laughs) You know, five and a half hours. But this was her moment. Are you ready? And things went very well. She shrieked, jumped up, and ran out of the office. Down the hall she went. I started to get up because I'm that way. I want to make everything. I'm a pastor. I want you to feel okay. And the Holy Spirit said, sit down. You stay right there. Isn't God mean? Or does he know what he's doing? I sat there. I can't remember. It felt like four hours. It was probably three minutes, maybe five minutes. Guess who comes back into the room? I'm ready. She put a stake in the ground, an act of the will. God showed up in her life. She poured out years, probably 20-some-odd at this point, of grief just gushing out. And she was free, and the joy of the Lord became her strength. God not only freed her with her relationships, she met a wonderful guy on one of our bike trips for Youth for Christ and got married. I got to be at that. She had an amazing life. She's already with the Lord now, and so is her husband. Isn't God good? He's good. And his arm is not shortened. But he says to us, here's some things I want you to do. Get on it. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that um, the likelihood of everyone in this room walking in complete freedom in terms of resentment, anger, bitterness, forgiveness issues is not very likely. So I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would comfort those who need to hear, just come my way, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you and I'll carry you through this. I pray for them, your encouragement and the power and joy and peace of your spirit to be their portion ahead of them. In the great name of Jesus, we ask for your help. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you. Thank you, John, so much.